This is the Global Shapers Gold Coast podcast, connecting with community and industry leaders to drive dialogue, action and change for a better future. As we shape the future of the Gold Coast and Logan cities, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and their connection to country. We are the ones who will inherit this future. And it's the same, I have the same principle in relationships or in any other point in life. Don't wait for an outcome that you're unhappy with. Be part of the solution to creating the outcome that you want. Hi, and welcome back to season two of the Global Shapers Gold Coast podcast. I'm Kara, and this is Rashad, and we're your hosts for this season. Joining us today is Taylor Hawkins. Taylor is a passionate entrepreneur with a focus on social impact, innovation, and leadership. In 2020, Taylor took on the opportunity to redesign her entire working portfolio to focus on the social impact orientated initiatives. This resulted in the inception of Foundations for Tomorrow, a non-for-profit driving the amplification of youth voices to design a more equitable Australia, and Future Frontiers Group, a consultancy with the mission to support and grow purpose-led businesses. Taylor will be speaking to us today about Foundations for Tomorrow's latest initiative, a survey inviting young people to have their say on a youth-driven COVID-19 recovery plan. Taylor, so thank you so much for being here today, and we're very happy happy to have you on this podcast, especially with the efforts you put with giving young people a voice in the formation of policy across Australia and the world. So first off, can we can you tell us a little bit about the foundations of tomorrow and the survey you're currently running to engage young people's voices in the COVID-19 recovery? Absolutely. And firstly, thank you so much to you both for having me. And I just want to say how much I loved your acknowledgement of country. And I think it really speaks so much to what we're going to discuss together, which is this collective designing of a brighter future. So uh, that just made me very happy while I was listening to that. And I might just steal that uh, creative addition to mine in future. So what we're doing is as part of the global initiative that WEF is driving through 2021, which is a youth-driven recovery to COVID-19, we've taken a uniquely Australian approach to that. So we're trying to find a way that is inclusive, intersectional and highly accessible for Australian youth to share their perspective on the future that they want to live in and and not wait to inherit one that uh, is not aligned with their expectations or their desires. And so we'll be running the consultation or in the form of a survey, March through till April, across the topics of responsible business, climate change, uh, conscious consumerism and recognition and reconciliation um, of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, as well as giving a free form opportunity for youth to submit their perspectives and their questions and their innovative ideas. And we can then draw this all together into a report that we can take directly to government and industry to give a really independent, nonpartisan representation of what youth want so that we can co-design that collective Australian future that we all want. And when you mean youth, what's the age bracket you're focusing on? 30 and under. Awesome. Great. So what is, why is it so important for young people in this age bracket to have a say in plans for COVID-19 recovery? And what do you think the impact would be if young people weren't involved or consulted? Look, I honestly worry that my answer to that is too reductive, but we are the ones who will inherit this future. 
And it's the same, I have the same principle in relationships or in any other point in life. Don't wait for an outcome that you're unhappy with. Be part of the solution to creating the outcome that you want. And so as much as it is that we need to raise our voices and be heard, we also need to step up and take responsibility for creating the future that we want to inherit. And, and if we're not included in that, and if we don't choose to step up, then we're going to inherit something that is highly problematic on so many levels. And that, yes, is climate change centric, but also has so many different levels to it as far as community inclusion, as far as responsible business, as far as just the values base of our society. And the impacts are just so far reaching if we don't do this effectively immediately. Yeah. I think that's well said. And if only everyone in under 30 thought like that. <laughs> I'm hoping to convince them. <laughs> yes, that's, that's awesome. And so what is co-design and how do you think it aids in the formation of policy when you're looking at the at a, at a country level? Absolutely. So I'll, my diplomatic answer to that is that I think that I try and actually avoid using the term consultation in what we're doing because I think that consultation is something that is done widely is often done by every form of organization, but the translation from consultation to action or consultation to inclusive co-design, there's a significant drop off between those two things. It's even when you observe the gap between uh, public consultation and when some government policies come out, you wonder how they had time to review all of the consultations that they were, that they were given. And so I think the importance of co-design, it's inclusion in the design of the outcome. It's beyond just, I'll listen to what you think. It's that you have a valuable perspective. It doesn't mean that we as youth solely get to dictate the future because that's not the intention. We want intergenerational inclusion. We just want a meaningful seat at the table that goes from listening to our perspectives to building it into the design of what actually gets implemented at a policy level. Yeah, I think that's so important too, particularly with this cohort that you're looking at, because often in consultation processes, they're run with particular stakeholder groups and, and there haven't been too many that I've seen that actually do really engage with young people, or if it is a public um, consultation, I think there's often that block for or, or the motivation, unless it's a particular issue like climate change policy or something that directly affects our future, that there's not much incentive for young people to be involved in, in consultation processes. And it's actually pretty interesting because there's a, there's a subject that I'm involved in here at, at QUT where SDG goals are the focus and it's all design students coming together and there's about 650 and we ran it last year and then it, they're doing it again because of the importance but the hilarious part was that how many students weren't aware of SDG goals just in general not to mention the fact that there is actually these issues like climate change and how bad they are. It's actually, the, it's almost like there's so much information, the actual information doesn't get through. <laughs> oh, I work in this space and I find it entirely overwhelming. So I have absolute empathy for anyone in the category of youth who just finds this whole topic incredibly overwhelming. It's why we've actually created a subsection of the campaign. So the campaign's called Your Voice, um, but it's called Discover Your Voice, which we've created as an educational webinar to walk people through. And it's designed for schools or uni students or people who maybe haven't quite gotten the grasp on their perspective on these issues yet to give them the information that they need in a non-leading way to then make an informed decision for themselves. So I completely agree that that's a huge challenge and it can be so overwhelming. 
Yeah. And often another kind of barrier to people, young people in particular, doing a lot of consultation work is that sometimes they feel like even if they do raise their issues, it's it never really reaches the decision makers. And what's great about this survey is that you have said that this will go, that you will endeavor for this to go to leaders and government and industry. So how are you planning to make that happen? Great question. And it's been a lot of me being on a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, and just designing with the end in mind. I think that it would be very easy for us to only focus on this section of the project, hit some great numbers, have a great report, and have no one who wanted to read it or listen to it. But what we're doing already is trying to develop those relationships with key ministers and with local government and with government sort of at all levels, because the reality is, is that change is going to happen the quickest at the local government level, which is why the localization of this data is so important and our ability to see state by state who is saying what, and we can then take that to the local level. So in answer to your question, we're already seeking to build those relationships so that we can bring that on a warm introduction to people who actually have the power to make change. Awesome. And obviously, given the audience that listens to the Global Shapers and who the Global Shapers are, how can people get involved if they want to encourage other people? Where, can, where will the survey be released and when does it open and close? Can you give us some details on that? Absolutely. So the survey opens on March 9th and it will stay open until April 23rd. And the best way to get involved is you can go to our website, which is www.foundationsfortomorrow.org. And you can register your interest and be notified as soon as it's open, following us on social media as well. And we'll just be releasing the survey at that date. And we're seeking to exceed our goal of 10,000. So the earlier in the piece that we can start to get some real traction, the better. The other point is that we will be doing leadership awards per state, because in the survey, you actually get to say, did someone else refer you to complete this survey? And so if we end up with these really incredible advocates in each city or in each state, we intend to reward them and really elevate them and, and shine a light on the great work that they're doing, because the reality is change like this takes community, it takes trust, it takes connection. And me being a woman from Sydney yelling over to WA saying, please complete my survey, that's really not going to do all that much. And so we really need, be it global shapers, be it just young people who care, we need people spreading the word and directing people towards this. And I would just really encourage and implore people to do it because even if only for selfish reasons, this will impact the rest of your life in a really practical way. Yeah, and I also um, did want to mention that this, this has a global element to it doesn't it as well because foundations for tomorrow is a initiative of the broader global shapers as and the davos hub so did you want to explain a little bit more about that absolutely so WEF in response to COVID really wanted to design a youth-led recovery from COVID-19. And so they formulated a initiative called the Davos Lab, which is a global movement seeking to have intergenerational dialogues in all of their um, countries that they have Global Shapers Hubs, which is 151 countries as a fun fact for you. And so each region is activating slightly differently. This is our unique Australian approach, but regardless, all of these initiatives will be um, sharing their data up to WEF to then create a global report with the intention of sharing 10 big ideas for how we can recover in an innovative and inclusive and equitable way from COVID-19. And that's a really good kind of transition into my next 
question, which was, I went to a conference recently, which is generally on innovation in the public service, but has kind of broader connotations because of the way that COVID-19 has impacted on all sectors and all different cohorts and age groups. So one of the speakers there, Professor Genevieve Bell from the Australian National University, called COVID-19 a liminal moment in our history, meaning that it's a time between times and in some ways a space between spaces. And so from this, it's clear that our world will never go back to 2019 before the pandemic hit. So instead, we need to focus our efforts on how we exit the COVID crisis potentially in 2022 and beyond. So what do you think the role of young people is in this transition? It's a really great question. I think the first thing that I would say for context is I read this phenomenal book called The Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein, which speaks about the history that we have with these really significant and traumatic events that can impact us on a global level and how those have been leveraged in the past to create change, maybe not in the most positive way. So getting policies through that are maybe more restrictive and, and you know, I won't speak too much to that, but really leveraging profit out of those challenges. And the reality is that what COVID has done is fracture our society. We now have these gaps that we're all looking at and we can't ignore. And so people are more open than ever to hearing new opinions. And so it is really our responsibility and incredibly negligent if we don't take it to sit here and say, why aren't they listening to us? And let this pass us by as the honestly once in a lifetime opportunity that we will be listened to at the level that we will if we collectively raise our voice right now. I think that's valuable advice because anytime they always say, I think the biggest hurdles and challenges in life are the best lessons lessons, mm-hmm. and you can actually grow out of it from a phoenix. So I actually think from a global point of view, this is kind of those types of situations you go absolutely spot on. This is taking in a little bit of a uh, tangent, but given the fact that you've you know, been part of creating these different projects like Foundations of Tomorrow, Future Frontiers Group Consultancy, all aimed around some sort of uh, social impact, environmental goals. Do you have advice for young people looking to go into this entrepreneurial space, especially if they've got an idea for a startup or a company aligned with social and environmental goals? Absolutely. I could speak for so long on this, (laughs) more so because I've made more mistakes than I can count. And so I think the first thing that I would say is if you're getting into entrepreneurship, you need to be willing to fail. If you want to do anything meaningful, in my opinion, frankly, you need to be willing to fail. If everyone loves what you're doing, then you're probably just selling ice cream and, and therefore you're probably not moving the needle too much on anything. So I think it's the need to number one, separate your value as an individual from the initiative that you're doing so that if and when you receive resistance or rejection or face failure, which I definitely have several times, that that doesn't then impact your sense of self. Because at the end of the day, if you are someone who is truly motivated to make a change, you're such an asset in this world and your sense of self and you know self-worth needs to be protected. So that would be my first thought. And the other thing is people will think you're a bit crazy and people will think you're an idealist. And, you know, I've come up against that so many times and maybe at times it's a little bit true, but I think to, to make an impact or even a small dent in the world, you need to be just a little bit crazy. Like when I told people about this project back in July last year, and I said, I'm, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to pull this together and, you know, getting aware super on board, who's really helped us make this all happen. 
I got a few people telling me that it was nuts and that as the curator of the hub, I shouldn't be doing this. And I was, you know, setting a bad example, etc. And I think you just need to be able to have the self-awareness to know if and when you're doing the right or wrong thing, but then have the self-assurance to really stick with it when you are sure that it is right. And yeah, that would probably, those would probably be my two top line points. And also haters gonna hate. <laughs> yeah, haters, literally, that is the uh, a shaper who I will respect their privacy and not say who they were, but I called them early on in the piece and they gave me two really great pieces of advice. They were like, write everything down, always be beyond reproach. And number two, haters gonna hate. And you just gotta deal with that. And it has been the best advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's great to have that kind of resilient mindset to it too. And clearly it has worked well for you, Taylor, because you were recognized as on the smart company 30 under 30 list, which is an incredible achievement. So what was that like for you? And what are your goals now for your company? Uh, well, number one, thank you. And it's actually interesting. And I'm really glad you asked this question because it's a story I really like to tell because it's not the way you think it should be. I, when I found out, I remember vividly the moment I found out that I got this and I'm one of those people who writes lists and has plans. And it was one of my bucket list things. I said, I must get a 30 under 30 on, on something. I was like, don't care where, must get it. Very, you know, arbitrary goal and vanity driven. But I remember I was on a business trip for a consultancy that I was working for at the time. And I got the email of a friend saying they'd seen it. Like they didn't, I didn't even hear it from them. I got an email saying I'd gotten it. And then I looked at the website and I just burst out in tears because I felt happy and satiated for about a quarter of a second. And then that moment passed and I was thinking what's next. And I just saw how terrifying and flawed that way of being was. And I'm so grateful for it now. I was on, I was in the shopping mall between David Jones and Maya in, in Burke Street in Melbourne. And I sat on one of those benches and there was a busker right next to me. And I bawled my eyes out for, I think about 20 minutes having my quarter life crisis. <laughs> I'm so grateful for the recognition. And, and it's not out of lack of gratitude that I tell this story. It's more so that I think it's really important for us to root our sense of success off of things other than the wonderful upsides that can come from these sorts of projects, which is the public validation. And so from a goals perspective, what's next for me and, you know, my business partner, Anna, us running Future Frontiers and also the work that myself and all the many other shapers, I must say, who were involved in Foundations for Tomorrow is impact. Like it's measured in the actual impact that you make, not in who's talking about it. It's why I have so much respect for some of those amazing, you know, humanitarians who you never hear about, who volunteer their lives to helping people in community. And I think I, I seek to bring that level of humility to how I approach this and, and let's see how I go with it. And I think uh, there's another word for a purpose of a profit and not a lot of people are driven by that at all. So well done. Thank you. Um, so obviously, along with all of those things, 30 under 30, you're still a little bit of a high achiever. So you're also on the future directors board um, ready program. So what advice do you have for any young go-getters that want to land a board role like that? Yes, yeah, so I was really lucky to complete the board ready program by the Future Directors Institute. It was early last year, actually, and, and now sit on the board of the Australian Global Shapers community. I think if you're looking to get a board role under the age of 30, 
Number one, I think you need to be very self-aware. And it's something that I'm working very hard on. I would say I'm very self-aware. My self-regulation needs a bit of work, but I'm quite self-aware. Self-awareness and, and confidence and the willingness to just always be a student. I know that even in the board we've recruited for Foundations for Tomorrow, I'm learning so much from the two board members that, that we brought in. And I'm really trying to take a student mindset in every interaction that we have. And I actually, I had a great mentor, Stephen Bowman, who tells me that he still, he mentors countless board members, be they young, be they highly successful and experienced. And he tells them all the same thing, which is always have a student mindset and curiosity will always get you further than imagination. So always seek to learn and understand. That's great, Taylor. And I think that's a really great thing when, when it becomes visible that young women in particular are, are in such important roles. And I think they're, they're, increasing initiatives in in both government and in other industries where where the importance of young people and women and people of color being on boards as a more representative and diverse group of people is is really really important so um finally just a little side note for our listeners is that you met our founder the founder of the Global Shapers Gold Coast Hub, Rachel, at the Climate Reality Leadership Program in Brisbane. And she she did make a comment that you had a striking resemblance to Sansa Stark from Game of Thrones. So are you happy with your title of Queen of the North? <laughs> Look, it was quite funny. That really caught on at that conference. And it was to the point that I was getting heckled with it by shapers I had never met. It also wasn't helped by the fact that it was winter, in my defense, and I was wearing a big winter coat with one of those faux but for looking collars on it. I, I will accept the title. It's quite enjoyable. Now that the show is over, it definitely occurs less, but it is probably the most common, like squinty-eyed, you look like someone I've seen comment that I get. So yeah. I will very happily accept that title. Yes. And it's a great way to make new friends too. Exactly. Literally yeah. in the eyes. <laughs> Oh, that was and a good part. Um, just wrapping up, what's your brain food? So can you recommend to the listeners your favorite podcast, show, and a book? Awesome. Podcast? No such... I will die on the hill of this recommendation, and it is the one that I give every time someone asks me for a podcast recommendation. No such thing as a fish. It is uh, run by the researchers of the show QI, and they just share fun facts and banter. And it is flawless. I love it to death. My partner is very sick of hearing me play it in the apartment. Awesome. What about a, what um, about a favorite show? Yeah. So look, I probably don't actually have a long running favorite show, but something that I'm a big fan of at the moment is on Netflix. It's called Middle Ditch and Swartz. Schwartz. It's an improv three-part series. And it's these two incredibly talented improv artists who just have done these live performances and they've been put on Netflix and they are hilarious. I've watched them many times. And then the book, this one's probably a bit more of a, a serious one because I, this has been my favorite book for years. It's Marcus Aurelius's Meditations. And it is one of these books that you can open it at any page. It's kind of like the Tao. I don't know if I'm going too much down like a spiritual tangent here, but if you open it at any page, it's just so full of wisdom that sometimes just takes a while to hit, if that makes sense. And, and so I like to sort of every night open it at a different page and see what it has to tell me. Awesome. awesome. And are you a bit of an avid uh, book reader, I'm assuming? I, I do 
my partner would say I'm not only because his obsession exceeds any normal person that you'll ever come across. And so when he reads it, uh, listens to this, I'm sure he'll find that quite entertaining. I do, I do love a good book. I, but I definitely read at a slower pace than he does. But I definitely, I got very deep into personal development for about three years. So most of personal development literature I've, I've, I'm across and it's stacked up in my living room somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and audiobooks are always great for personal development too, because you can just True. listen to them on the go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Taylor. And we really appreciate you taking your time to come on our podcast. And it's great to hear about the amazing work you've been doing. And we're really looking forward to that survey coming out. So you can register your interest to have your voice heard and to support the Foundations for Tomorrow listeners at www.foundationsfortomorrow.org and be on the lookout for when that survey posts on March the 9th. And so thank you listeners for tuning in to the Global Shapers Gold Coast podcast, The Power of Youth in Action. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support from the city of Gold Coast and Laurie Minto, Global Shapers Gold Coast mentor and director of operations for Tomra Collection Solutions Australia for funding as well as the podcast support that they provide for us. We would like to thank the Cohort Innovation Space for providing this amazing recording studio as well as all the equipment alongside that. To stay up to date with the impact we're creating locally and globally, follow us on Instagram at Global Shapers Gold Coast. If you think you've got what it takes to become a shaper, apply to our hub by visiting our webpage, goldcoast.globalshaper.org.au. We are the Global Shapers Gold Coast Hub of the World Economic Forum. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye.